Well, good morning to everybody, and I'm glad to see the early birds getting the worm again. You know, we got a lot of positive comments about me starting early last week, and uh, we're gonna, we may just do that uh, more often. I, I was scared to death because I thought I'd just be preaching to two people when I got up here. And, uh, man, the people came in, and I want to thank you for being here uh, on this Father's Day. And let me just say a word to all the fathers here. We're so thankful for you, and I, I, I appreciate you. I do hope you have a very wonderful Father's Day. I wish... I could spend a day with my dad. Uh, my dad's been gone now almost 13 years, and uh, every Father's Day is a little tinge of sadness in my heart because I don't have my dad around anymore. So if you have a dad, you take advantage of it and make sure you let him know how much you love him. And so to all of you dads who will be with your kids and your grandkids today, uh, I do want to wish you a very, very happy Father's Day. And so I'm not discriminating. Would you just give the dads a hand this morning, let them know how much you love the dads and appreciate those dads. You know, uh, everybody's different. Uh, they say it's like snowflakes. You know, no two snowflakes are the same, and people are not the same. And yet, there's one thing in common I have found with every single person on this planet who's ever been born or ever will be, and I don't know that it's ever been illustrated more clearly than it has in the 21st century. Let me tell you something we all have in common in this room, every one of us. We have this unquenchable thirst and in this, this insatiable appetite for information and communication. We want to know who's doing what. And, and we want to know what people are doing. We want to know where they're doing it, when they're doing it. We want to know why they're doing it. We've never been more saturated with information and more soaked with communication than we are today. You think about, let me just kind of list the ways. Now think about this. Cell phones. Televisions. Email, radio, iPods, websites, blogs, books, magazines, newspapers, movies, text messages, tweeting, podcasts, face-to-face conversations, which, by the way, because of all these other things, are becoming very rare. We used to have those a lot more than we do now. But, you know, you, you might say that we're literally drowning in a sea of information. In the middle of this maelstrom of information, God still wants to speak to you, and God still wants to be, speak to me. The question that I want to ask and answer this morning is, in all of this cackling that's going on in all of this flood of information that we're exposed to, how can you possibly hear God? How can you really listen to his voice? You know, just as an aside, I want to get on a little bit of a soapbox. This is not in my notes, but how many of you either tweet or read tweets? You tweet or read tweets. How many of you do that? Okay. Some of you do. Help me, Rhonda, help me. John Brown, I'm now at Starbucks eating a muffin and drinking a coffee. Why do you care? Why is that such a, why, why, why would you want to burn 10 seconds of your life to read that? I mean, I don't, I am now for the first time experiencing an outhouse. Why, why would you want to know that information about somebody? I mean, I just, I, I mean, I, somebody kind of helped me there. But I, I think about all of this information that we're constantly flooded with. And, and even though God is not limited to any one method and God can speak in any way he chooses, the interesting thing is that God himself has chosen the primary way to communicate, the way that trumps every other way, is through this book. This book trumps everything. It trumps dreams. It trumps visions. It trumps voices. 
It, it trumps intuition. It trumps everything else. Because one of the first things that we learn about this God in the book of Genesis is that God chose to reveal himself in words. For example, ten times in the opening chapter of Genesis, we read two words. God said, ten times, God said, God said, God said. Now, let me tell you the good news. God didn't just say something yesterday. God is saying something today. He still speaks today. That's not the issue. That is not the problem I want to address. The problem is not, is God still speaking? The problem is we are not listening. Let me, give you, let me tell you why I know that to be true. There are more Bibles in print today than ever before. There are more Bibles in people's homes today than ever before. And yet millions and millions of people suffer from what I call spiritual anorexia. They're starving to death from spiritual malnutrition. Our churches, I'm just being honest, we've got churches that are full of biblical illiterates. There was a survey that was given to thousands of people who owned the Bible. These were the results. Listen to this. 82% say the idea of God helps those who help themselves is taken directly from the pages of the Bible. 63% could not name the four Gospels. 58% could not name half or more of the Ten Commandments. 58% did not know Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. 52% did not know the book of Jonah was in the Bible. 39% did not know Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and 30% did not know there were 12 apostles. I'm not talking about atheists and agnostics and non-churchgoers. I'm talking about people who go to church, people who own at least one Bible. It reminds me of, of a Bible class of some young boys, and the teacher said, okay, who went into the lion's den and came out unhurt? And one boy brought it out, Tarzan. I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing what people know or what people don't know. And listen, let me tell you this. Of all the church charges that God brought against his people through the prophets in the Old Testament, if you ever read the prophets in the Old Testament, it's kind of a downer because almost every prophet was chewing the people of Israel out because of something they were doing, rebelling against God, disbelieving God, going after pagan gods, going after false gods. But of all the charges that God brought through his prophets against the people of Israel, there's one charge that when I read it, it almost made the hair stand out on my arms when I, well, the first time I read it. I want you to listen to what God said through the prophet Hosea. Listen to this. I wrote for them the many things of my law. But now listen to this statement. But they regarded them, that is my words, as something alien. The people of Israel had treated God's word like an alien. Now, let me tell you why that was such a damning statement. The alien had no home in Israel, none. He didn't have, a, he, you could not buy property if you were an alien. He had no permanent dwelling place. He was allowed to live there, but he had no voice in the land. If you were an alien, you had no say-so in the affairs of your community. You possessed no vote. Whatever opinion you might have about any important decision was completely ignored. And what God was saying was, you of all people have treated my word like an alien. My word has no voice in the way you conduct your life. My word gets no vote in the decisions that you make. When it comes to how you're going to live, when it comes to how you're going to conduct your affairs, when it comes to how you're going to, to uh, uh, operate in your life, you absolutely, completely ignore my word. Now, we're in a series, if you're a guest of ours today, we started a series last week that we're calling In the Zone. 
And I am convinced that far too many believers of Jesus Christ and far too many followers of Christ live zoned out lives. Let me tell you what I mean by that. For many of you, this is your spiritual highlight of the week. This is it for you. I mean, this is why you get up on Sunday morning and you come and you bring your Bibles, you get out your pen and you take your notes and you sing the songs and you listen to the message. And and, and it's not that you really don't want God to speak to you, but that's it. And then you kind of compartmentalize this part of your life and put it back up on the shelf to the next Sunday morning. And then basically you just kind of go out and kind of live your life as, in a way as if there were no God. And, and there are many of you that will leave here today if you're not careful. And, and here's what you'll do. You won't crack open the Bible again, not all week long. You won't open the Bible to hear God's Word. You won't spend much time praying to Him unless you get in a fix or get into a problem. And, and, and what, we, what too many of us do is we compartmentalize God and we kind of say, okay, God, you get Sunday morning. You get this Sunday morning weekend experience, and that's it. And for the most part, just like God's Word, we kind of put God on a shelf. We kind of just zone out. Well, what I want us to do and what we thought would be good for our church to do as we enter into this summer is we want you to get back in the zone. I want to try to get you to a place in your life where you are literally in that. Won't you listen to this next phrase? Where you are practicing the presence of God on a daily basis. I want you to hear that phrase. You can actually practice getting in the presence of God on a daily basis. You can practice getting in the presence of God on a daily basis. Now, the one thing that's absolutely essential if you're going to do that, you must get into the Bible on a daily basis. You must read your Bible on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, I have thought through the years about what's the greatest challenge I face as a pastor? Because, man, trust me, one of the things that's both exciting about my job and wearying about my job, a pastor always faces, there's a new challenge every day. I promise you, there's a new challenge or a new problem or a new issue. I got a call yesterday from a man in Florida. I'm not even his pastor. He's a dear friend of mine. His wife has just been diagnosed with myotonic muscular dystrophy. It's It's a disease that will probably take her life. She was absolutely devastated. Went to the Mayo Clinic, just got the diagnosis day before yesterday. So I, he was in Salt Lake City. They live in Orlando. I said, hey, get her on the phone. Let me call. Let me pray for her. Got her on the phone and called her and prayed for her. Uh, did a wedding yesterday uh, for a wonderful couple in, in our church. And I, I, I have to just, this is kind of an anecdote that I wasn't going to tell, but I have never laughed at a wedding in my life till yesterday. But I have to tell you, I, I almost didn't finish the ceremony because when we walked outside, we did the service over in Brazelton. When I walked outside, there was a sheet of black that was we were just facing, and it was coming our way. And so the, the longer the ceremony went, the higher the wind got, the darker it got, the more the thunder and the lightning was crashing. And so they were supposed to light the unity candle, and the wind blew out the candles, and so they had a big lighter. They couldn't get the big lighter to light the candle. And all the time, this, the, you know, we, it's getting darker, and it's crashing, and it's thundering. And I mean, the wind's blowing. And then I get, to, I, thought, I start thinking, if this gazebo flows, blow, you know, blows over, it's going to kill us all. And, uh, and, and, and then the, the the bride, the bride, she started laughing because, you know, and, and everybody else is wide-eyed. But, and, and then we start hearing the rain come through the trees. And I want to tell you, I have never pronounced a couple man and wife as fast in my life as I did yesterday. But, and I don't even know where I was going with all that. But the point is, they're, they're, a pastor faces challenges. And, and I've absolutely become convinced, as I look back over my ministry, the single greatest challenge probably that I face as a pastor. And to get ready for this. You're going to think, yeah, it's getting people to give money to the church. No, that's not my biggest challenge. It really isn't. You say, well, it's it's getting people to come to church. No, that's not my biggest challenge. 
The greatest challenge I have faced as a pastor in all my years as a ministry is to get people just to read the Bible on a daily basis. It's the biggest challenge I face. You say, well, pastor, why is that such a big deal to you? Why is it a bigger deal to you that I read my Bible than that I come to church? Or why is it a bigger deal to you that I read my Bible than that I give financially to the church? I'll tell you why. You read your Bible every day, you'll be so convicted by the Spirit of God, you'll come and you'll give. And you'll do it for the right reason. That's, that's the key. See, that's the secret. And there's a reason why, by the way, we put verses of Scripture up on the screen. And by the way, we've debated whether or not we ought to do this. You know, there's one argument that says, don't put it up on the screen because if you do, people won't bring their Bible. You know, people get lazy and, and, and they'll say, well, why should I bring my Bible? They put it up on the screen anyway. And I realize, let me be honest, I realize that we do tempt you not to bring your Bible when we put verses up on the screen. You say, well, then why do you do it? This is the other side of the argument where I fall. I so believe in the power of the Word of God, and I so believe in the importance of people reading the Bible for themselves that if the only way they'll do it is to put it up on the screen that I'm going to do it because there are going to be many people, and you know this, they're not going to bring their Bible whether you put the, put the words up on the screen or not. And so, you know, yes, we could put Bibles in the back of chairs and so forth. We may do that someday, but my point is I want people to see the Bible. I want people to read the Bible. I want people to hear the Bible. Now, the question is raised, which would be a good question, particularly if you're not a believer, you may be asking the question, now wait a minute. I thought you people believe the Bible's the Word of God. Well, we do. And, and I thought you people believe that God speaks through the Bible. Well, we do. Well, if you believe the Bible's the Word of God and if you believe that people speak through the Bible, my question is, then why don't most believers and most church attenders and most Christ followers read the Bible? That is a great question, and I'm going to answer There are basically, as you're going to find out today, there are basically three reasons that people give why they don't read their Bible. Over 5 million students from around the United States were asked why they did not read the Bible. Here are the top three reasons that they gave, and I guarantee you, you probably fall into one of these three categories. Here's reason number one. We don't know where to begin. In other words, what they mean by that, they, they, they don't even understand the Bible enough to even know where to start. I mean, where do you, where do you start? Do you start, in, by the way, don't start Leviticus. That's just a little word of advice, okay? But they don't know, you know, they don't know where to start, Genesis or whatever. Right, here's number two. I don't see its relevance. I mean, here's a book, candidly, and I'm going to talk about this in a moment, thousands of years old. Why would I want to read a book that was written thousands of years old? And why would I want to read a book written by people who don't even know what an iPod or a computer was when they wrote these words? How is it relevant to my life? And then number three, I don't know how to find things. And what they mean by that is I don't even know how to mine truth out of, the, out, of, out of God's Word. I don't even know how to get what I need to get out of God's Word. So what I want to do this morning is address every one of those issues in this message. And what I want to share with you are three ways to just what I call follow the directions. Now, I want you to write down this key statement. This is the, what I want you to take out the door this morning. Every time I open God's Word, God opens his mouth and speaks directly into my life. Now, I want to read that again. Let me tell you why. If you don't buy that and you don't believe that, you're not going to read your Bible. And I wouldn't either. But if you believe that, you'll say, huh, well, then maybe I'll read my Bible daily. Every time, not most times, every time I open God's Word, every time, God opens his mouth and speaks directly into my life life. Now, if you brought a copy of God's Word, I want you to turn again to a book we looked at last week. It's right in the middle of your Bible. It's Psalm 119. 
Psalm 119, and I want you to look in verse uh, 89. We're going to get there in a minute, verse 89. But now let me give you the three directions on how to really get into your Bible, okay? Here's direction number one. First thing you've got to do if you're going to start reading your Bible on a daily basis, number one, you've got to appreciate the Bible. The reason why most of us don't read our Bible on a daily basis is because we really don't appreciate it. We really don't. Now, the psalmist makes an amazing statement about the Bible. As a matter of fact, it is a statement that's made only about the Bible, and it's not true about any other book that ever has been written or ever will be written. Listen to Psalm 189, 119, verse 89. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Now, the Hebrew word for stand firm means to be fixed or to be established. So you could read it this way. Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It is fixed in the, heaven, in the heavens. It is bolted down in the heavens. It is established in the heavens. Now, if you don't know what that means, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 24, verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. Everything you see around you, is gonna, it's, it's all going to go away, everything. The trees, the skies, the birds, the land, the dirt, the ocean, the, the, everything. Everything's going to go away. But Jesus said, my words, that is the Word of God, will never pass away. There's only one book in God's library, the Bible. There's only one book that's going to be in heaven when you and I get to heaven, and that is the Bible. The only book that will last for all eternity is the Bible. It, 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 how many of you have never read Gone with the Wind? You've never read the book Gone. Hold your hand up. You've never read it. All right, I'm going to give you a piece of advice. If you've never read Gone with the Wind and you want to read it, you better read it before you leave this planet because after you leave, Gone with the Wind is going to be Gone with the Wind. You're not going to be around anymore. You're not going to get, you'll never get a chance to read Gone with the Wind once you're gone because the only book that's going to last for eternity, the only book that's going to outlast this world is what is known as the Word of God. The Quran won't be around. The Vita won't be around. The Bhagavad Gita won't be around. No other book's going to be around except God's Word. And I want you to appreciate the miracle of this book because let me tell you, I think sometimes one of the reasons why we don't really read our Bible is we don't even understand the treasure that we hold in our hands. Now think about this. I'm holding in my hand a book that was written by 40 different authors. The first book, the book of Genesis, was written by a man named Moses probably somewhere around 1400 B.C. The last book was written by, written by a man named Paul somewhere around 70 A.D. And so here, here's a book that was written by 40 different authors. Now listen to this. It was written over a period of about 1,500 years. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe. And yet I hold in my hand one book divided into two sections, the old what and the new what. Testament. Now, do you know what the word testament literally means? It literally means covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is simply a promise. So, in other words, the Old Testament is a promise and the New Testament is a promise. The Old Testament has 39 books. The New Testament has 27 books. And yet, here's the interesting thing. When you begin to read the book of Genesis and you go all the way to the book of Revelation, you will find that the Bible is all about basically keeping 
a promise. It's just that the Old Testament deals with one side of the promise and the New Testament deals with the other side of the promise. And when you read the Bible completely through, you will find that the Old Testament and the New Testament are literally joined at the hip. I'll tell you something I bet you didn't know. The New Testament has roughly 300 explicit quotations from the Old Testament, and it refers to the Old Testament. Listen now, in just 27 books, the Old Testament is referred to 4,000 times. Why? The Old Testament makes a promise, and that promise is somebody is going to come to deal with the problem of sin. Somebody's going to deal with the problem that goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Well, what is the New Testament? The New Testament simply says that promise has been fulfilled. Someone has come to deal with the problem of sin, and his name is Jesus. And so even though there are a library full of books in this book, this book only has one primary purpose, and that is to lead you and me into a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, don't take my word for it. Jesus said in John 5, 39, you diligently study the Scriptures. Let me stop right there. When Jesus mentioned the Scriptures, what was he talking about? Somebody tell me. The Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So he said, you diligently study the Scriptures because by them, you think that by them, you possess eternal life. Well, wait a minute. What's the New Testament about? It's about eternal life. So you say, wait a minute. You mean the Old Testament and the New Testament are basically about the same thing? Exactly. Because the Bible, listen, The Bible may be 66 books. It may have been written by 40 authors. It may have been written over 1,500 years in three different languages and three different continents. But ladies and gentlemen, it only has one subject, Jesus. Jesus is the subject of the Bible. Jesus is the glue that holds the Bible together. That's what and that's who the Bible is all about. See, this is the problem. Too many people think that you only meet Jesus when you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I got news for you. You meet Jesus all the way back in the first chapter of Genesis. Now, again, don't take my word for it. Jesus, after he was raised from the dead, you may remember, he was walking down the road to a village called Emmaus. I've been to that village several times. Walked down that same road several times. He was walking down this road to Emmaus, and he met some disciples, and they didn't recognize him. And we read these words in Luke 24, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning, what's that word? Himself. He started at Genesis. He went all the way through the prophets and he said, that's about me, that's about me, that's about me, that's about me, that's about me. Matter of fact, I don't know if you did, um, did your homework last week or not. How many of you, just, just be honest, how many of you read those five chapters I gave you? Or a lot of you. Okay, you remember I asked you the question, I said, okay, what is the main thing of the lesson? What's the greatest truth I learned? But then I asked you this, how did these five chapters fit together? Well, I hope you figured it out. Genesis 1, creation. Genesis 3, the fall, man sins. We need a solution. Matthew 1, the solution is born, Jesus Christ. Luke 24, the solution is given, his death and resurrection. Acts chapter 1, that's our responsibility now to go out and share the promise has been kept, and now we can know God through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's how the Bible comes together. Now, I could say a lot more about the qualities of this book that could fill several sermons. What I'm simply wanting you to do is just begin to appreciate the book that you have. Now, let's go to question number two, question or direction number two. That is, we need to assimilate the Bible. 
We, we need to get the Bible into our lives. How do you do that? All right, listen to Psalm 119, verse 18. The psalmist says, open my eyes. By the way, I pray this every morning when I read my Bible. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The Bible, there, there are treasure troves of truth in God's Word. There are boxes full of jewels of spiritual truth that are just waiting for you and I to get our pick and get our axe and get our shovel and just mine them. And so God wants to open our eyes to see where these truths are. He wants us to help us find these truths. Now, there's one thing that you've got to do or else this will never happen. You must read your Bible. I didn't say you must come hear me preach. I didn't say you must turn on your iPod and get Charles Stanley. Nothing wrong with doing any of those things. But if you are going to get God's truth out of God's Word for yourself on a daily basis, you must read your Bible. Now, I want to say this again, but I want to change a word. In fact, I want to add a word to it. You should read your Bible daily. I mean, you just need to make it a daily habit. And let me tell you why that's true. There's not a day in your life that you don't need to hear from God. I don't care where you are or what you're doing. There is not a day in your life you don't need. Can I tell you why? I don't care how smart you think you are, how intellectual you think you are, how much you think you've got it together. You can't manage your life for one day apart from God. It's impossible. Can't do it. God so engineered you, He won't let it happen. So there's not a day in your life you don't need to hear from God. There's not a day in your life you don't need to listen to God. And only reading your Bible keeps you tuned into God's voice. Now, one of the instructions that God gave to His kings, if they wanted to be wise and effective rulers, was this prescription. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 and 19. Listen to this. He's talking about kings. When He takes the throne of His kingdom... He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the priest who are Levites. It is to be with him and he is to read it. Now listen, I believe he meant this literally. All the days of his life. God said, if you're going to be a good king, if you're going to be a wise king, if you're going to be a faithful king, if you're going to be the king I want you to be, Every day of your life, you better open up my law and you better read it so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Now, I think you'd agree. If anybody needs to hear from God, it's the ruler of the people. If anybody needs to hear from God, it's the king. If anybody needs to hear from God, it's the president of the United States. If anybody needs to hear from God, it's our senators. If anybody needs to hear from God, it is our congressmen. And so what God said to the kings was, I want you to keep a copy of my word right by your throne. He usually says, wherever your throne is, I want a copy of my word right there, and I want you to read it every single day. Now, here's a big question. I don't want you to raise your hand, but just ask the question. How many of you believe the Bible from cover to cover, but you have never read the Bible from cover to cover. Because if you believe it from cover to cover, why haven't you read it from cover to cover? Now, let me tell you how easy this is. 
Did you know that if you'll read the Bible just 15 minutes a day, 15 minutes, you'll read it completely through in a year. And that's if you're a slow reader. If you were to cut one 30-minute television program out of your schedule and instead read your Bible, you would read the Bible, right, read the Bible twice in a year. Now, I know some of you, now you remember the question? We don't even know where to start. Well, I'm going to give you a Bible plan we can read together. Matter of fact, I think you've got one in your order, order of worship. I, I want to give you a Bible plan, and, and we're going to put a link up here. Let me just tell you, this, this is just one, this is just one plan that we gave you. And, and I'm going to talk about in a moment how we're going to personalize the Bible. You'll see that on the front. But I want you to just open this up, and you'll see this is a Bible reading plan. Now, you can do, you can do several things with a Bible reading plan. I'm just trying to get you to read your Bible. And you may say, well, you know what? Uh, I, I don't even want to, I don't want to do all this reading. Uh, I think I'll just read the New Testament. Then just read the New Testament. Or you may say, you know, I don't want to read the Bible in a year. I want to read the Bible through in two years. Okay, then read, take on reading every other day. There's all kinds of ways you can adapt. And by the way, you can go to our online link. You see it up there. You can go to our online link. You know what we did for you? We, we've done you a big favor. There are 120 different Bible reading plans on that link. You just pick whatever one. If you don't like this one, that's fine. You know, this may not be for everybody. But there's 120 different. Let me tell you why you ought to adopt some kind of a plan. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible, you won't read the Bible. I promise. Some of you say, well, I think I'm just going to go, I'm just going to kind of open it up and just point. Well, that could, you know, that's not a good way to do it. And, and uh, you know, it, 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 I mean, it can be dangerous. You know, you can open up the Bible and you'll read these words. Judas went out and hanged himself. And you say, well, I'll, I'll start over. And I'll, you'll turn to another one and it says, go thou and do likewise. So, I mean, you, you know, you, you, you just got to be careful about how, you know, you're going to kind of, you know, kind of this haphazard way. So I have found the best way to read your Bible is to have a plan, have some way that you want to do it. Now, I'll tell you something else I would encourage you to do. If you've never read your Bible very much, I would also get an accountability partner. I'd get somebody with, I, I, it may be your wife, it may be your, one of your kids, it may be a, a buddy, it may be a brother, it may be somebody you work with. But you may, you may want to get with someone and say, look, I, I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. Would you join me and let's hold each other accountable? And, and, you know, whatever, you know, you may, you don't even follow the same plan, but just so every day say, hey, I want, yes, I did read my Bible. You know, I, I, I did do it and, I, and I, I'm making a habit. Now, I, I realize that, that once we give you a plan, the easy part is to say, well, if I've got a plan, I know where to start. Whatever that plan is, one plan may have you start in Matthew. One plan may have you start with Psalms. One man play, you know, one plan may have you start this place or that place. That's not really the hard part. Some people think it is, but we've already solved that problem. The harder part is, but how do you understand it? That, that's my problem, Pastor. I, I just, I read the Bible, and I don't get anything out of it, and therefore, it's just not relevant to where I am. All right, I'm going to give you three steps on how to make the Bible relevant in your life. You ready? Step one, personalize the Bible. What do I mean by that? You know, how do you make the Bible personal? How do you get the truth of the Bible out of the page and into your heart? Well, we've, we've given you these questions, but I'm going to go over them very quickly. With every text of Scripture, simply ask these four questions. This is what I do. I'm going to tell you what I do. It works. Number one, what does this passage say? 
I mean, just read it and just say, what does it say? In other words, you know, what you're simply asking at this point is, okay, what were the circumstances surrounding this passage? Who, who were they talking to? Who was being addressed? What was the problem being discussed? Who was the one doing the talking? Just, just start asking questions of the text. So what, what, was, what does the passage say? Then you ask the second question. What does the passage mean? And now what you're asking is, all right, what was the author trying to accomplish? What, 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 what are the ideas or what are the values or, or what are the core truths he was trying to communicate? Now, you can do those two things, and, you'll do, and if you close the Bible up, you'll say, well, that was good and that was information, but that really doesn't help me. No, you've got to ask the third question. What does this passage mean to me? What is the timeless truth in this passage that, that, that everybody can learn? What is the biblical principle that I can get out of this text that would apply to everybody at all times at all places? For example, there's a story in, in, in the Bible about, you may remember this story if you don't real quickly. Saul was after David, and he was trying to kill David. David hid out in a cave. And the Bible says that Saul had to go in and he had to, I'll put this as euphemistically gentle as I can, he had to relieve himself. I'll just let your imagination take you wherever you need to go. So he goes into the cave and, you know, he's having to go to the bathroom and he is in the most vulnerable position anybody could ever be in, right? Well, he doesn't see David. Now, David can smell him, but he can't see David, right? So he says, so David is sneaking up behind him and David's going to, David's, David's got him and his life is in his hands. But if you remember the story, David does not kill him. He cuts off a piece of his garment, sneaks back into the cave, and then once they finally come face to face, David hands him this piece of garment and says, I could have killed you. I had your life in my hands. But I didn't because I respect your position of authority. Timeless truth. You don't have to respect the person that holds the office necessarily. You do have to respect the office that holds the person. Timeless truth. So you, you ask yourself, what does this passage mean to me? And then here's the last one. All right. How am I going to respond to what God has just said? That's the key. All right, how, how am I going to apply this in my life? Because every truth calls for a response to make that truth come alive in your life on a practical basis. Because let me tell you something. Do not, listen, this is important. The reason why I want you to read your Bible is not for information but for transformation. I told you the last week, nothing has changed my life in the 49 years I followed Jesus Christ like reading my Bible on a daily basis. It's transformation, all right? Number two, memorize the Bible. Don't just personalize the Bible, memorize the Bible. Now, I don't mean actually memorize the entire Bible, but memorize key verses that speak to your heart. I mean, there are verses that you, you'll just read and you'll say, you know, I need to put that in my memory bank. And by the way, don't sit there and say, oh, I, I can't memorize Scripture. You memorize a lot of things. We, we memorize Social Security numbers. If you're a husband, you better know your wife's birthday. You better know your anniversary. We memorize stories. We memorize jokes. We, we, you know, if you can memorize those things, you can memorize Scripture. And there are all kinds of ways to do it. The best way I've learned, get a card, write it down, carry it with you, put it on the dash of your car, and, and just go over it every week until you memorize it. Now, why is it so important? You say, Pastor, you know, that sounds kind of sounds like kid stuff. That's kind of like, sounds like what kids did in Bible school. Why is it so important to memorize the Bible? Let me tell you why it's such a big deal. When you memorize the Bible, that means you can take the Bible with you everywhere you go without even having a Bible. 
And it's amazing how God will take verses and bring those back into your mind at certain points when you need to hear them. So you personalize it, you memorize it, and then you actualize it. Now, what does that mean? That's where I'm about to get to my last point. In other words, here's what you do every day. What did I find in the Bible today that I could obey? Well, and, and I promise you, when you start obeying the Bible, when you start doing what the Bible tells you to do, I guarantee you, when you personalize it and memorize it and actualize it, it will revolutionize your life. You say, well, okay, how do I really do that? How do I really make it relevant now in my life? All right, direction number three, and we're finished. Apply the Bible. Apply it. Now, let me just give you a couple of verses. Psalm 119, verse 9. Stuck, it, it, first time I read this as a teenager, it stuck with me. How can a young man, now he's talking to teenage boys. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By living according to your word. See, this is what I fear about the two sermons I preached on this, on this subject. I'm afraid that some of you will go out of here and you'll say, okay, if I'll just now make this a part of my checkoff list, or if this is part of my do list, read my Bible, then I've really done what I need to do. No, 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 no. It is not enough just to read your Bible. It's not even enough just to remember your Bible. You've got to reproduce the Bible in your life. You've got to live out the Bible in the way you do your business, in the way you conduct your marriage, in the way you handle your children, in the way you handle your money. You've got to live out the Bible. See, it's not enough just to love the Bible. It's not enough just to look at the Bible. You've got to live the Bible. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So when I read this passage, it tells me don't just do the Word or, or read the Word, do the Word then I've got to ask a question, and you've got to ask a question. What has the final say in my life? When, when I'm cornered, when I'm up against it, when my back's against the wall, when I'm forced to face reality, when I've got to make a decision as how I'm going to respond or react to a certain situation, where do I turn? What am I going to allow to speak into my life? Now, let me make this personal. Let me, just, 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 let me give, you, give you a practical kind of an illustration. Everybody in this room is going to establish certain standards of morality that you're going to follow. You're, you're a single person. You're either going to have sex outside of marriage or you're not. You, you're either going to look at pornography or you're not. Or, or, or you're married. You're either going to be faithful to your spouse or you're not. You're either going to use profane language or you're not. You're either going to guard the kind of movies that you see and guard the kind of things that you listen to or you're not. The question I want to ask you is, as you establish the standard for the personality you're going to practice, what's going to be your ruler? When you need an ethical compass to find your way out of an ethical jungle, how do you determine where true north is? When you're on a stormy, churning sea of emotion, which lighthouse are you going to use to show you where to find the shore? And I have found in my own life that the Bible really comes alive. This is when the Bible really comes alive, when I practically apply it in day-to-day -day situations. I think I told you this last week. If I did, I'm going to repeat it. One of the saddest things I have people say to me, and I've had people say to me in my ministry, is they'll come up to me and they'll compliment me on a message or something that I talked about, and they'll say something like this, you know, I wish I'd heard that when I was younger. Or, or they'll say, you know, I, I wish I'd known that before I got married. Or they'll say, you know, I, I wish I was aware of that before I entered into that business partnership. And what I want to say to these people was, is it was all right there. You didn't have to wait on me to hear it. If you just read your Bible, 
You would have known it. You'd have to have me tell you. I heard about a man that loved to study the Bible, and every time he came to something he couldn't understand, he'd think about his buddy Charlie. And so, you know, Charlie was a great Bible student, a great Bible teacher. So every time he read something he didn't understand, he'd go to Charlie and he'd say, he'd say Charlie, well, what does that verse mean? And he'd come to Charlie all the time. Hey, Charlie, what does this verse mean? What does that verse mean? And he'd come back and say, Charlie, tell me about this. I don't understand it. One day this guy in his quiet time was reading the Bible, and the Holy Spirit said to him, why don't you ever come to ask me? I'm the one teaching Charlie. And I'm telling you that is so true. God wants to speak to you. Now, let, let, me, let me close with an interesting thing I read the other day, and it, it just reminds me of where so many of us are in the church. The country of Angola in, in Africa has, has a real problem with starvation and, and, and a real problem with hunger. And I read something the other day that absolutely broke my heart. I read where the, this impoverished people, they, they eat this paste-like porridge. It's called funge, not fudge, funge, F-U-N-G-E. Now, funge is kind of a cross between oatmeal and grits, kind of, kind, of, kind of a strange mixture. Now, here's the thing about funge. Funge is very filling. You don't have to eat a lot, and you get full very quickly. The problem with funge is it has absolutely no nutritional value whatsoever, none. There are no nutrients, there are no vitamins, nothing. But because it takes away the hunger and it makes you feel full, people actually prefer funge over less filling but more nutritional foods. So in other words, they'll rather eat funge than fruit or vegetables. Because after a while you get hungry, but you eat some funge and you're pretty much filled all day long. And so you've got a population physically satisfied but dangerously malnourished. And I read that and I thought, that is just like the church. Listen, here's what we do. We get on the internet. We get on the blogs. We get on the iPod. We go to websites. We get on our, our smartphones. We watch our TVs. We listen to our radios. And we fill up on this visual, mental, emotional junk food. And leave no time for the one thing that will nourish our soul, feed our spirit, and get us in the zone, God's Word. So beginning today, I'm going to ask you on a daily basis, read your Bible. Let God speak to you. Jesus has promised that every time you do, he made this promise. He said, you will encounter me in a way that will encourage you and enhance you and enrich you and equip you to walk with God through the good times and through the bad times. You search the scriptures, Jesus said, because in them you will find me and you will find eternal life if you just follow the directions. Let's pray together. If you're here this morning and um, you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I've got good news for you. It's amazing how once you give your heart and your life to Jesus, the Bible comes alive. You, you cannot help but read the Bible and get something out of it when you finally wake up and realize, now I know what the Bible's all about. It's about Jesus. And now I realize the purpose of the Bible. The purpose of the Bible is to get me to come to God through Jesus Christ. And I told you this book's about a promise, an Old Testament promise and a New Testament promise. The Old Testament promise is simply this. Man's biggest problem is sin, 
And God made a promise all the way back in Genesis, I'm going to send someone that will take care of your sin. The New Testament promise is that promise has been kept. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, lived a perfect life as the Son of God, died on a cross, was buried, and raised from the dead. And when we put our faith in Him, we are born again. We are establishing a relationship with God that will never end. Jesus Christ comes into our life through the person of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment on, we are children of God. And we have His Word to speak to us every day. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your life, this book, God's Word, says, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you've never been saved today, if you've never trusted in Christ, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm going to pray it out loud. I want you to pray it in your heart. Right now, say this prayer. Just say, Dear God, and by the way, you're not saved by saying something. You're saved by praying, honestly calling out to the Lord. Just say right now, Lord, Dear God, I need you. I understand now what the Bible basically is all about. This world is full of sin because it's full of sinners and I'm one of them. I have broken your law. I have broken your word. And except somebody die for my sins so I could be forgiven, I have no hope of having a relationship with you but that's what Jesus did and Lord Jesus I believe it I believe you were God's son I believe you died on the cross for my sins I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead and you're alive right now I confess you as my Lord I trust you as my Savior I repent and turn away from my sins and I surrender my life you. Now if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to do it right now while I'm talking. There's a little registration card on the front of your order of worship and it says at the bottom, there's a little box that says, today I made a decision to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check that box off right now. I want you to sign your name. Give us some kind of way that we can contact you, however you want to do that. And then just sign, just check off that box that says, I made a decision to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. 